0: This is the Cloud Ace podcast, bringing you the latest in cloud security through captivating chats with fascinating cybersecurity experts who are leaving their mark on the industry. Cloud Ace is brought to you by the SANS Institute and hosted by SANS certified instructor Brandon Evans. And now, prepare for departure. We are cleared for takeoff. Here's your captain, Brandon Evans.
1: We've got a very special guest today. I am joined here with the host of another top cloud security podcast, literally called the Cloud Security Podcast, Ashish Rajan. In it, he interviews cloud security leaders on how they solve problems in the big three cloud providers. If you love Cloud Ace, you should definitely follow the Cloud Security Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. He is also a principal cloud security advocate at Sneak a very popular developer-first security company that helps identify and fix known security vulnerabilities in third-party dependencies and more. Beyond this, he has also taught SANS Management 520, leading cloud security design and implementation. He's a faculty member at IANS, a trainer for the Cloud Security Academy, an AWS community builder, and a leader for several meetups. Without further ado, welcome Ashish. Hey, I'm
0: glad to be here, Brandon. Thank you so much for that introduction as well, man. I'm looking forward to this conversation.
1: Absolutely. So I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked everybody else in the beginning. How do you get involved with the cloud? What was your introduction to the cloud?
0: Uh, My first intro to the cloud was from my identity and access management role. I was an IAM person for four years, and this is when... One of the biggest banks in Australia decided to move into the cloud. They were the first ones to move to the cloud. And I was part of a consulting company that was working on that. And the biggest challenge that they had was being a bank. They had, I don't know, about 10,000 employees to go through. And how is that going to work in cloud, single sign-on? So that was my first intro into the world of AWS, uh, considering that was the only provider at that point in time, and then kind of branched out to become a... Security architect, security engineer. I kind of did the reverse. I should have done the other way around. Then, then I realized, oh, I should have just done the engineering first and then come to the architecture. So then I did go architecture again so with a different lens. And they did SOC. Uh, after that, I became a CISO because uh, I realized I've done everything, including GRC. So I became a CISO. And I think that was actually my last. Yeah, my last role was a CISO before I kind of turned into full-time content creation and cloud security podcast host.
1: Very cool. And I definitely understand where you're coming from regarding starting off as an engineer before getting into architecture. I find it really funny how a lot of people think that they're able to describe a secure cloud architecture and help give guidance about what people should be doing when they <laughs> haven't actually been in the trenches doing that implementation work. So that's something I've seen quite a bit and it's quite frustrating. Folks, you gotta actually per- play around with these technologies if you want to be able to provide good security guidance yeah
0: 100 i think I, what i found myself when i was trying to do security architecture before i became an engineer was i would rely more on the other engineers to do like the so I, my question would be almost like oh so i am what would that look like in this i'm asking them instead of me trying to figure it out myself and i think that's the piece which is harder for people to absorb in the context of doing cloud security architecture to what you said you kind of have to play into the i mean try and play with the clay for uh, i guess people who understand that reference and see what comes out of it you may screw up you may make an amazing software or you may leave your s3 bucket open the internet that's completely fine (laughs) but hopefully you don't have anything sensitive in your s3 bucket when you open to the internet but at least from that perspective you'll learn why someone makes that mistake and so when anyone else comes in to have their architecture reviewed for cloud, you have a bit more of a better understanding for why certain services should be done a certain way. Why can't it be like this, or why can't it be like that? So I, I personally definitely agree with that, Brandon. That you know, I I've definitely agreed that engineering then architecture. Even though you may feel you've done twenty years of architecture, I think you still need to do engineering a bit of engineering yourself. Right? would, would you agree?
1: Absolutely. And I think it's just sometimes insensitive when people say, hey, why are we not doing this thing? And in reality, (laughs) they are asking the developers to do something that is incredibly difficult to implement. Incredibly difficult to implement. And this is especially true in the world of IAM. So I haven't done a whole lot of work with non-cloud IAM. But Cloud IAM is unbelievably complex, especially Mm. in AWS. I mean, you look at a policy, you don't even necessarily know how it's going to evaluate until you actually see it firsthand. You have deny actions, not conditions, like quadruple negatives. It gets really (laughs) complex really quickly.
0: Yeah, I think I'll I'll probably add one more thing in there as well. I think the understanding of... uh, and um, I'm curious to hear your opinion on this as well. The way we knew traditional architecture, traditional network, those rules don't technically apply in most scenarios in cloud like AWS, or in general, like in a a cloud context. The fact that your firewall is not a hardware firewall. It is a hardware firewall, but with Amazon, not with you. You have to define a software-defined network. uh, And uh, the, the, the understanding of I can only have one user, so Ashish can only have one user, but hey, Ashish can be an IAM user, Ashish can be a single sign-on user, Ashish can also be an access key, but Ashish can also give his credentials to a server. Like the, the that concept is very hard for people to grasp. And I don't know if you feel that IAM is complex because of that as well.
1: I think that's definitely part of it. I really hope that folks understand at this point that you should not be granting an IAM user to a application, to a service, because you can use temporary access keys from an IAM role. But, you know, I definitely understand how folks, you know, their first response might be to create a service account with a long, a long set, uh, a long-lived set of IAM access keys and secret access keys. But I, I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it's just the complexity of policy as well as people will default to built-in and managed policies. And as you know, in AWS... Managed policies are actually bad. They are incapable <laughs> incapable of defining resources.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I think I, you hit, the, hit, hit it on the mail. And I would also add to the fact that to what you said, I, I actually, maybe uh, I'll take a step back. And I think what you called out over there is worthwhile mentioning. So when I was doing my first job for AWS and I was drinking the AWS Kool-Aid for a long time, I just truly believe that Amazon is the best cloud. Now, I, I still think it's the most mature cloud, uh, but there are services that are out there because they just have, happen to be first in the market. So they got criticized more. But one thing that I always take back is certain patterns that are recommended by cloud providers. Like I was uh, exactly the same with IAM. I was IAM was, I user. I was really bullish with it. I was like, you cannot have IAM user. And what I realized over time is that that was Amazon trying to push people in a certain direction, because the if you, the way you look at in say in Azure you can have a service account, so it does not really make a difference uh, as in because they had the whole Windows concept of from people who would have worked in the Windows network, they had this concept of system administrator, and there was a sysadmin role that people would get. That concept did not exist in Amazon, and rightly so because they were defining their own network for the first time. They wanted to be a, as out there, I guess, as mature as possible. Whereas Microsoft, when they came in to the Azure land, people realized, oh, this is the same network that I knew for all these years. And I don't know how I'm, I kind of show my age here, but when I was starting off, I it was really trying hard to get a MCSC certificate, which is a Microsoft certified solution engineer. I can't even remember. That, that's how, I mean, it was like, if you had that, you would definitely get a admin job. That's the level of uh, the, the value that certification had. But I never got it. But it's it's a similar feeling where when people who are listening to this and going, oh, I need to have an IAM role. Yes, you're right. 100% when working with Amazon. But what we found was, say, Jenkins is a great example. At, at least the last time I used it, it required access keys. And I'm going, oh, my God, why would you want access keys? I was just screaming my heart out. And then I realized, oh, it's the Amazon pattern. It's not the Azure pattern. It's not a GCB pattern. So I I, I say my thinking is uh, was questioned. I was humbled by a lot of people for why I uh, drink the Amazon Kool-Aid. So I had to change the narrative after that. But hundred percent, man, on the money. If you have an option of temporary credential, that's probably the best thing. Do you find that like because the I don't know if you've heard about the ransomware in the cloud space, but one of the reasons why people end up in ransomware is exactly what you were calling out the complex policies people have. Have you heard about the ransomware pass?
1: I'm not sure I've heard about this specific issue. I do want to say that I'm still a huge fan of temporary credentials, even in Microsoft. They have managed identities now. So I don't know. I, I agree with you that the AWS age should be avoided, but in IAM, I'm still with you.
0: Yeah, yeah yeah I I think uh, definitely temporary credentials is the future I think it's definitely a pattern but I think when people listen to you and I at the moment we are recommending temporary credentials but I think is uh, what the the reality, reality out there may be that it's a bit of a gray area where 100% the, the the pattern to go forward temporary credential, but sometimes you have to accept it, accept temporary uh, accept an anti pattern as well sometimes
1: sure Absolutely, but do go on about the ransomware case that you were mentioning.
0: Oh yeah, sure. So the ransomware part was, and I think we're doing an episode for this early next month. Uh, The idea over there was, oh, ransomware is usually a Windows server thing in an old Windows 95 box, or can really, I don't know, Windows Vista or whatever. Like, you know, people taking over your actual physical desktop. But in the cloud context, people are doing ransomware there as well. Now there are different versions of it, the version being, uh, you find an S3 bucket which is open to the internet, which had all your content. What people what people end up doing is what pe- people would copy all the data out, delete it, leave a token, leave your uh, Bitcoin number or Bitcoin hash, whatever it is, uh, address. Sorry, but they, they leave your Bitcoin address on the S3 bucket for you to kind of find out and go. Well, if you want the uh, if, if you want the da- the data please send money to this Bitcoin thing. That's one example of ransomware in AWS that I came across. There's another example where uh, the access was denied. Now, in this particular scenario, if I remember this correctly, based on what I spoke to the guest, it was uh, the S3 bucket was using a KMS key, which uh, which clearly was a KMS key for that particular S3 bucket. Very, very well done. You, on, on the onset, looks exactly right. But... Ashish was given an IAM role, which allowed access, uh, Ashish to do KMS star. So I could replace that KMS. I could cha- re- rotate that key, which was used for the S3 bucket, without letting anyone else access, have access to it. So technically, that was my ransomware for, well, you kind of have to give me money, or at least just give this account owner money to be able to give you back, back access to your S3 bucket. Like So th- those are some of the examples that I heard of, and I was shocked by going back to the complexity of IAM. You might think that, oh, I've made sure that Brandon is only someone who can do EC2 instances. Brandon is someone who can only do, uh, I guess, your uh, VPC changes and everything. But KMS should be fine because I want him to access to have... I'm not separating encryption, decryption. And like that kind of scenario can also lead you to some kind of th- something like this. But I don't know if you... Did you hear about any of these?
1: I haven't heard of any specific cases, but I definitely can see the attack based on how you're describing it. And that's one of many reasons why folks need to worry about the deletion window for keys. So I was actually, I was actually just talking about this today with someone about how AWS allows you to restore a key once it is deleted or deactivated for between 7 to 30 days. Azure also has that for seven to 90. And GCP has a window of 24 hours, very small window in which you could restore that key if you delete it. One of the problems though, is that Azure has this concept of purging, which allows you to purge soft deleted material. So even if you could restore that material from between seven and 90 days, if someone has that purge permission, they can just delete the soft deleted key and now they can't do that restoration. So, that's a big thing that people get wrong when they're going from one cloud provider to the other, is not knowing that nuance because the key goes away, the data is functionally useless.
0: Yeah, 100%. And I think a lot of people use the multi cloud as a reason to, oh, I want my backup to be in another cloud. One of the consulting gigs that I did, they were storing their backup for Amazon in Azure. And one of the questions we were asking was, wait, what, what encryption key are you using? Someone said, oh, you should just create a key on, on someone's laptop. Well, I mean, you still have to store this somewhere, but you don't have on-premise. Well, let's was, was store it in a password manager. And yeah, let's store it in a password manager. But what, what they uh, underestimated was, it, like, and, and I'm keen to know your opinion on this as well, the transition from one cloud to the other, do you think it's even practical? Like, you know, if oh, I say right now, I build an application in Amazon and tomorrow for whatever reason, uh, I decide, you know what? I think Azure gives me a better discount. I'm going to switch over to Azure. Is it any, I mean, at least as it stands today when we're, inter- uh, when we're doing this interview, do you feel it's possible for anyone to easily transition their entire application completely from Amazon to another cloud or uh, vice versa?
1: This is my favorite topic. One hundred percent. So please cut me off once I've overstayed my welcome with this. Any other questions for you? But yeah. my answer is categorically no. Changing from one cloud provider to another is incredibly, incredibly difficult. And the reason why that is is that all of these API calls that your application is making, they're unique to the different cloud providers. There is no uniform abstraction layer on top of all three of those cloud providers. And if there was, AWS would be incentivized to break that abstraction layer to keep (laughs) people locked in. So if you wanna go full multi-cloud, you really have two choices. Either take advantage of none of these valuable services. Just write an application that's hosted in a VM and doesn't talk to any other cloud service. Or two, you rewrite your application three times. Neither of those options are great. So when I think, What is a practical use case for multi-cloud? Number one, I recommend not going multi-cloud if you can avoid it. And we talk about this a little bit in the panel discussion that I had at the SANS Cloud Security Exchange event in August 2022. Uh, Check that out if you haven't already. But if you want to run, if you have to run something in multi-cloud, one of the main use cases in which this makes sense is running different applications on different clouds. Because then you can write the application once, specifically for this cloud provider.
0: Uh, 100%. I think I, I probably 100% agree with you. And I also wanted to add that the complexity of, <coughs> sorry, the, the biggest promise that Kubernetes had was with 2D multi-cloud. But to what you called out about the Amazon example, uh, they decided to take, pe- take features which are really bad and bare metal in Kubernetes made that available in Amazon, called that EKS. And now you are logged into Amazon again because you uh, the, the promise plan for Kubernetes was it would just be exactly what you said, an application built outside. It's like a data center within a data center. Take it to wherever you want. And uh, they matured at, at least Google Cloud, Azure, as well as Amazon. They all saw this as an as a exploding field. And they all basically came up with their own version of Kubernetes to the point that now it's almost foolish to not go down the path of a cloud-provided Kubernetes now because there's just so much you have to, you have to do and manage yourself in Kubernetes. So to what you said, y- y- there is no option. There is no third option for, I, I mean, I guess maybe if any of the listeners are listening in, consider there is a third option. Maybe they should share this with us, either with you or me. I would love to hear what's the third option.
1: It's gonna be broken. Again, (laughs) AWS has no incentive to allow this technology to exist. If you created the cloud API, which translated concepts from S3 to Azure storage to Google cloud storage, number one, incredibly difficult thing to solve. Two, again, AWS is going to break that technology. They have no incentive for that to exist. And, and this is what frustrates me so much when people talk about Terraform. They talk mm. about, oh, Terraform is a cloud agnostic solution. So therefore, Terraform is going to solve this problem. The people <laughs> who say that have never used Terraform before. Terraform <laughs> has different providers that you can use, but they are specific to the cloud provider. So yep. yeah, you can use the same technology, the same language, but... You're going to be rewriting that terraform code functionally for three different cloud providers and all the relative all the relevant services but Even to, the architecture
0: right architecture is different as well you, if you say example you make a web application in Azure the way you architect it would be very different in how you architect it in Amazon or Google Cloud right because terminology is different the way the network would work, work would be different as well would you agree?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely analogous concepts and we talk a lot about that in my course, SEC 510, Public Cloud Security, AWS, Azure, and GCP. Shameless plug right there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely some things that do not translate perfectly. Uh, I like to call our course the Rosetta Stone for Cloud yes. Security. But you know, <laughs> there are some concepts that do not translate perfectly in a particular language. So yeah, I mean, I think it's technically possible to simplify the architecture and at a high level create something that is relatively analogous, but there's definitely going to be some translation failures. So, you know, this is a project that I would be tempted to create, but again, I don't want Amazon to just overnight purposefully break my application because they're going to.
0: Do you reckon microservices was the answer that people were thinking? You know how people had, oh, we'll we'll build APIs and we'll build microservices and, and it's probably a good segue into the part where uh, the trust of cloud providers uh maybe something that we should be questioning because of the number of vulnerabilities that have been identified in them i definitely find that the promised land for every to what you called out everything that you could think of apis microservices again the promise over there was break your monolith into microservices and you can just take them anywhere you want and then we land all of that into amazon or all of that into azure and we're back into the same problem again We just created our our own monolith inside AWS for, I mean, a version of monolith in our AWS accounts. Like, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, so I uh, was in uh, the debate team in college. So I try not to make straw person arguments. I (laughs) try to make the best version of the argument that's there. And the best version of the microservice argument is that if you want to be multi-cloud, you can architect each of those individual microservices to be specifically running on one cloud. And now yeah. these different services can talk to each other, but they're running on a particular cloud. So your entire architecture is multi-cloud, but you're not running the same service on multiple cloud providers. That's, that's silly. I, I think that that's a awful idea and I'm hoping that people are making the better version of that argument but I'm not I'm not really certain that's the case but I think
0: I had someone who spoke about this where this was uh because a lot of people were talking about whether should we should call it polycloud or multi-cloud and I'm like oh yeah I guess I can kind of see again why people would call it polycloud and although the polycloud name never and never kind of the standard time I guess and one of the things that came out of this was uh, why can't we build an application that uses best features of all of them? I'm like, yeah, you can do that, but that would have to be hosted in that cloud. You can't have it, like I have. I would have my arms in AWS, but my legs in uh, in Azure and my head in GCP because GCP does really good data. Like there is no, I mean, that would be one complex application architecture. And then you leave whoever's left behind is going, what the hell did you do?
1: Yeah, technically speaking, it is possible, but it would be incredibly difficult to architect, as well as the IAM issues would be tremendous. Having intra-cloud authorization, it's just it's just a really hard thing to solve.
0: Yeah, I mean, even the vulnerabilities for that matter as well, right? Because uh, over the past couple of years, we spoke about ransomware just before. Over the past couple of years, what we also found was, like, I started. At a time where there were no known vulnerabilities for amazon azure google cloud we used to get the patch Tuesday. so that was a windows server thing not a azure cloud thing and over the past couple of years uh, what people have identified actually the cloud service providers are as bad as what the other people were there are so many vulnerabilities that have been found some of them even require user intervention as well like i can't just simply go well amazon has fixed it i have to remake my entire server so in a newer version to to be able to manage myself and then there's a question of older version of services versus newer version of services apparently people still use ec2 classic and i'm like i don't know who uses ec2 classic but apparently there are people who still using ec2 classic they're still supported and we've been doing amazon for what 10 plus years now at least so you know i don't know have you heard of examples of these
1: well, I appreciate all of the questions that you have for me, but this is my interview. We can save,
0: <laughs> Sorry, we can should, save some of my, those I
1: questions. Should,
0: I should hold myself my uh, my podcast host hat. Should be just I'm gonna keep that on side. If people can see it. physically yeah. giving it on the side.
1: Well, well, hopefully, I'll be on your show at some point, and you could ask for me for more of those questions. But I want to get more of your perspective when it comes to vulnerabilities, and I want to learn a little bit more about what you do for Sneak. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, so, Sneak, uh, we're I'm a principal cloud, uh, trying to cloud, cloud security advocate. Yeah, I'm trying to think what my role is. Uh, principal cloud security advocate. Uh, my primary role is so first role is basically podcast host for cloud security podcast, and that's the media company that I'm part of. Sneak is a licensed... so it's a sponsor uh, for us, and as part of the sponsorship, we're also working with them to promote uh, what the community thinks about cloud security because they have a product uh, called sneak cloud that is coming up soon. Um, and I think by the time this episode is released, it should be publicly announced as well. So I feel I can sit, talk about that and uh, because they did a few acquisitions some time ago. So that is, that is the, that's, uh, that's the cloud uh, service that they have and our job at the moment with working with sneak, is not just to, I guess uh, we're doing our we're running our media company for our podcast. But the involvement with Sneak is to help them shape what products can be for a developer for security in the cloud context. And I'm definitely very bullish on that. I think Amazon is being bullish about this as well because they also realize, I think, I don't want to take credit for this, that I saw this before. But sure, I'll let Amazon take the credit that because they did a keynote and they spoke about it. But we definitely all saw this from a distance where they were in the near distant future all cloud security engineers cannot solve the problems that happen in the development side. You have to work with the developers to solve problems at the development side. And that's kind of, is going to be the massive movement. So the partnership with sneak definitely made sense for us to kind of go forward with. And we also advise on, uh, what the product can look like as well. So it overall, the role is primarily driven by, uh, helping them understand what the community wants to know helping them shape what developer first security can look like in cloud and the idea that, well, I think this is where the product should be going is where we're probably providing counseling and advisory as well. So, yeah, I think oh, hopefully that wasn't complex but it's very different to what I, I think it's, it's a bit strange as well because three months ago I was a CISO and now I'm like on the other side building a product for helping companies build a product, advising on cybersecurity marketing and running the podcast and the YouTube channel that it has. Uh, I think it's, I'm super grateful for the opportunity that I have and the conversations with people like yourself and others. Uh, it, it definitely enlightens me and humbles me every time I think about, wow, like just only three months ago, I was doing this a regular CISO job for lack of a better word at a cloud first company, doing multi-cloud, solving multi-cloud challenges. And now I'm uh, advocating for cloud security with developer first cloud security.
1: Yeah, I feel the exact same way and I really love working on all sorts of different things both as a sans instructor as well as in my consultancy. So it's really cool to be able to work on all sorts of different problems and That's create all sorts of types of content. And I really like the overview that you gave of what Sneak is currently doing and it's glad that you I know mean, I'm really glad that people are starting to do more developer centered security, but I mean newsflash, development matters when it comes to security. <laughs> like, how has this taken so long for people to think about? I mean, <laughs> seriously, developers are important for security, obviously.
0: <laughs> I mean, we were never building stuff to begin with, right? We were always like highlighting the risk and talking about, hey, how do I protect people from the bad people? We were never building stuff. I mean, although cloud kind of has some some of that angle, but technically what you said, development has always been number one. They are the ones like I don't know how to do Java. I, I can be honest. I feel like I'm. I can be wonderful here. I'm not a great programmer. I don't. I, I mean, you come from a de- uh, development background, so you probably appreciate this. Like I, it took me a while to understand the uh, the benefit of having comments in a code for what that particular class is going to do. I would just write. For, for, for swearing, but and I was like, oh, I guess it works. I'm gonna walk out. <laughs> and I was one of those people. I, I feel sad to say this. So Python kind of taught me the wrong way, and uh, it was definitely made me go, hmm. I I can't remember uh, writing a good code ever. And so I, the first day I saw well written code, I'm like, oh my god, this is beautiful. So I don't know. Do you feel frustrated when you see other people just? just would write the code and go, well it works And I, I believe scripting is something to do with it where scripting has basically made bad programming as a it's good enough. Do you feel frustrated by that?
1: Yeah, so it's it's really interesting so you know th- there's two extremes here, right So there's there's not commenting at all and then there's way too much commenting. There is such a thing as way too much comments in your code just saying, all sorts of extraneous things like assign this variable to an integer with this value right like that's more comments than it is code and adds zero clarification but for me personally i find it more important to do self uh what's what's the word sorry i'm i'm, I'm blanking on this uh, self-commenting code i was right the first time mm-hmm. self-commenting code where you create code that is reasonably possible to interpret and one of the foundations of that is creating variable names that are named well so if you have any code that has the variable named x in it that's a problem right (laughs) it should be explaining what this value actually is doing so uh, that's you know one of my frustrations but 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 again you could talk to me more about my development experience on your episode because I want to <laughs> learn more about you today. You
0: have such a you have, you have such a more interesting story than I have, man. I just like I feel like you you should be the one in I, I guess you know talking about more about this, but I'll I'll, I'll go back to your uh, interviewer interviewee mode, interviewee mode. There you go.
1: Yes. Well, hopefully, this is a good cross promotion for if I'm able to join on the cloud security podcast, so <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we'll make it work. Now you mentioned a keynote that AWS did uh, before and how that has informed a lot of folks, um, You know, Sneak has had a similar philosophy, but Amazon's also talked about developer uh, centric ideas. Um, I have to admit that I'm pretty jealous of you because I always see you at cybersecurity conferences way more than I'm at a cybersecurity conference. <laughs> Every once in a while, I'll see you and Schlippy with friends and former colleagues of mine in pictures from the latest security events. And you know, I'd love to hear some of the takeaways that you've had from some recent events that you've been to like Black Hat or Reinforce. What kinds of things have you been learning about cloud security from those places?
0: Sure, um, from a cloud security perspective, I think a lot of conversations are still very mixed in terms of the, where the maturity is, which is, I guess has always been the case where there's a bit of a graph for, or maybe even a scale for that matter. But if you were to kind of put like the least mature and the most mature cloud, a lot of people are somewhere in between where they kind of have are, have found some maturity. They've done Sans courses. They've done uh, your course as well. And they've talk, spoken to other people who are informed. Most of the confusion... A lot of people thought, you know, we talk about the Gartner C, four Cs, CSPM, CNAP, CWPP, and CIEM. Uh, for a lot of people, oh, these security folks and their uh, acronyms, like they just don't get it. And what I realized as we were doing, so we did conferences uh, like Black Hat. We did Cloud Village uh, at, at DEF CON. We did RSA. We, I did a keynote in Amsterdam uh, in London. And everywhere I spoke about the four C's, uh, I mean, actually, no one knew what CSPM is. No one knew what CWPP is. But if you were to talk to a, a company, which is a product company, and go on their website, it uh, doesn't matter which one it is. If it could be your Palalto, Viz, Orca, whichever one you go on, they all call it, or even Lightspin for that matter as well, they all call themselves CNAP. People have no clue what CNAP is, but it's on the website. And I, it made me realize that as an industry, we have not done a great job of informing people because the idea that Gartner had, which is a great idea, is to hey, I should help people. Um, I should help people. Uh, oh, sorry, we as an organization should help people understand the cloud space and help them find what category of products do they need to solve complex problems in cloud. That's how they started the four C's. CSVM was the first one there were four generations of it. And I made a whole video about it as well on, on my, on the, on the YouTube channel for Klux Security podcast. But the, the idea was kind of dropped after, uh, well, there was no, there was no promotion apart from a uh, marketing material. No one has spoke about it. So I I definitely found in general, one of the themes that came off was a lot of people were not aware of the four C's the other theme that came off apart from like having very little maturity. The lack of skill set is still a thing because, and uh, and I need to be a bit more specific because we spoke of multi-cloud as well. So it's not a lack of skill set in terms of we can't find enough AWS people. It's lack of skill set in, in the context of we have a lot of multi-cloud everywhere. I started with Amazon. Many people plus started with Amazon who were in the beginning. We have to learn Azure. We have to learn Google Cloud. So we are unlearning a few things we've done in the Amazon space. I, I truly believe anyone who says they're truly multi-cloud right now, they're really good at one. And then probably they're good enough to be dangerous in the other other two. It's just not possible for you to have equal amount of awareness about all three cloud. Because, I mean, if you feel you have awareness, wait till like end of November when AWS reInvent happens and they release another 400 services, I would like to have the same conversation again with you and go, Hmm. do you really feel and this is for the individual in the in the listenership who thinks they are you know, all three cloud do you really feel you need all cloud providers and all the services they have they have over 400 plus services and you know all of them like i don't know what what what's your thought on this man
1: definitely no one knows all of those services including aws uh, the closest that i've ever seen of this is uh forest brazil who does a lot of work for advocating for various AWS technologies and actually is the head of content at uh, Google cloud right now. He has a song that he does where he lists all oh, yeah. the different, uh, cloud services that AWS provides. And I guarantee you as smart as he is no way he knows all those services, much less how to secure them. I'm the exact same way. I certainly don't know any of the providers 100%. And even as the person who wrote the multi-cloud security course, I would still say that I'm mostly the quote-unquote master of AWS and still getting a foothold in Azure and GCP. I know a lot more about GCP than the average person just because not a lot of people use GCP, but uh, (laughs) there are definitely some power users that know a lot more than me. But before we go further into this, I hate to put you on the spot, but I need you to do this because a lot of people heard those four C's and they're like, I don't know what those acronyms are either. Can you try to define what those four C's actually mean? Sure, sure,
0: Uh, and I think it's a good question and I think people should be informed for it. Uh, So first one is CSPM, Cloud Security Posture Management. The idea behind this was: imagine if your cloud is a house. Right? We spoke about cloud as a building with multiple floors. You know, the, the concept used to exist for a while, and so CSPM is more like your the, your building auditor. You have a rental property, and basically, the building auditor is walking around looking at. Oh, you have a broken window, which is your open S3 bucket. Oh, you, oh, look, you have uh, your 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 doorknob doesn't have a key to it. Oh, you're missing a, a missing encryption. Like, so things like that is what a CSPM does, it, then it reports back to your landlord, aka your cloud owner, that, hey, uh, these needs to be fixed. Now, these were great from a perspective of uh, the first generation of people migrating into cloud, and they definitely did a great job of at least helping us understand the complex complexity that comes with cloud, especially at a scale that was never seen before. As it kind of matured, what people realize is, hey, a lot of our applications are not really that microservices API kind of uh, application. We need servers for these, and uh, the whole concept of IPS IDS existed way before, uh, but it didn't exist in the cloud context. It did exist in an anti pattern where your vendor that was not ready for cloud would tell you, actually, how about you build up a server for us, and we sneak in, uh, like you know, we try and snoop your traffic. And then ultimately, they find they get blocked by Amazon. That's a different story. But the the concept of, hey, how do we do workload protection is uh, IDS, IPS, or malware detection, antivirus, as they call it. The, that All that combined capability is uh, CWP, which is Cloud Workload Protection Platform. That's where a lot of people said, oh, I, I need to be able to look at my servers as well. Now, at this point in time, this is uh, still like three, four years ago a lot of people would have a combination of cspm as well as cwpp because a cspm is the auditor that looks at your windows but your cwpp is like if you have a toaster in your house and it's about to blow up it's that emergency light that switches it off like you know uh, a lot of people would understand the analogy like it's a short circuit that's what cwpp does basically it just lets you know hey man your toaster is about to blow up i'm gonna switch it off um so because there's a malware in there that's where cspm cwpp is at this point in time, people realizing that, oh, I'm, going, I'm getting like a lot of data from all these people, uh, all these uh, CSPMs and CWPP. What am I doing with it? There was a whole alert fatigue campaign that ran. And then people started talking about the, ne- the need for more context for what's being provided. So that's when the next generation came in. We are more context-aware CSPM. As that kind of traveled, uh, Kubernetes got popular. We just spoke about Kubernetes just before as well. And a lot of people realize we want to be cloud native because we can move between one cloud to the other through thanks to Kubernetes. So we definitely need this in our lives. Yeah, I know. And for people who can't see this, but uh, <laughs> Brandon just did air quotes. He's like, we would be fine. We would if Kubernetes is the answer. Cloud native foundation is the answer for all this. But the reality remained that Kubernetes, the first version when it was released, people found out, hey, people are using Kubernetes in cloud. We should do something about it. And that was the definition of cloud native, which is, I don't think it is the definition of cloud native, but people believe that Kubernetes is cloud native. It kind of is, kind of not, but I'm I was probably for another for one wrong podcast episode for that one. But what people have done and Gartner found out that people want to go cloud native. What cloud native meant is you are still using capabilities of CSPM you're still using capabilities of CWPP, but you have these things like your Kubernetes, which are your uh, cloud-native application that you want to build on. So CNAP, and the category for CNAP is still growing, is your context-aware CSPM, CWPP, and Kubernetes software. Basically. At the moment, it's I think the, it's, limited, uh, its limit was Kubernetes, but now people have started expanding that to CIEM, which is your Identity and entitlement management. Uh, and they've also expanded that further. There's now KSPM stuff as well. There's D- DSPM data. Like I can go into all of that. But for the average person out there, they just need to know that CNAP is basically like the and worthwhile. Just I'll take another minute just to explain when people need this so people don't kind of get confused. Like, because you would see marketing and say CNAP, CNAP, CNAP. But if you don't use Kubernetes, you kind of don't need CNAP anyways. So CSPM, your house auditor, you only need that if you are someone who's primarily working in cloud. Maybe you're starting today, you have no idea what you do. So whether it's Google Cloud, Azure, AWS doesn't matter. It's a great benchmark to start off with because they give you a list of these are the 25 things you should care about in this cloud. Great. That's great for CSPM. People who are being audited and are still using servers and have to uh, work on a day-to-day basis with your uh, regular virtual machine in your cloud, whether AWS, Azure, Google Cloud, those people might have to worry about CWPP because there is no IPS, IDS, there are threat detection capabilities, but they rely on the fact that you have found, uh, I guess, something in your cloud-provided logging system. So that's the flawed model there, so that's that's why you think about CWPP. CNAP is, I, I only say CNAP, if you're not using a combination of, say, Kubernetes or anything cloud-native, you probably don't need CNAP now. If you're maturing towards it and you get a good deal, maybe that's a good idea because it still gives you, say, CSP and a CWPP capability, but it's it's a bit more mature for people who are not even Kubernetes, maybe a bit overkill. So if you can save money, Go for just a CSPM option with context and, you know, you still get the same thing that you wanted. So uh, CIEM, which is the final one, which is the identity and entitlement management. Brandon and I just spoke about how complex IAM is. And this is the reason why Gartner came up with their own category for uh, identity and entitlement management. Not that people f- still did a great job with it, but at least there's a category for it. And people are still working through and understanding what that would look like. So that would work really well for organizations that are finding that uh, they don't have single sign-on in their cloud provider and have way too many identities to worry about uh, so that they can prevent the ransomware. So that's, that's my hopefully my really short five minute version of what those four, CSC, four C's are and hopefully helpful to people I understand as well.
1: Hey, I gotta say that was pretty long, but honestly at the same time, I think that was incredibly efficient. Like I think I understand them now and I don't think you could have possibly explained it faster without omitting a lot. But I to, that. I mo- most certainly I really do mean that I really did learn a lot from just that five minute spiel. Uh, but just to tie this back into some cloud native services as I understand it, let me know if I'm wrong. But an example of a CSPM would be like a AWS security hub or a Microsoft Defender for cloud or a Google cloud security uh, command center. Is that like a version of a CSPM?
0: They are. So Amazon doesn't call themselves a CSPM. So so, so I think worthwhile noting, the place where it gets a bit muddy, for lack of a better word, uh, is a lot of these services were created for a smaller scale. When the first version of security hub came in or guard duty came in threat detection, as they called it, that was meant for one account. So I had to create a guard. I had to enable guard duty in each one of my accounts. And there was no way to kind of, you know, propagate that into one place. So a lot of CSPM providers kind of use that as a way to go, well, you know, we can propagate that for you for all the accounts into one place. Microsoft Defender again—it's a—it was a good attempt, uh, and it's, it's still a good attempt. They say Microsoft Defender is the CSPM equivalent. The challenge over there for most organizations is it's hard to find organizations that are on one individual cloud. Even if you're using Amazon, if you have Office Office 365, you're potentially using Azure AD. You are using Azure, so there, there is that question of. Is anyone truly single cloud right now? They, because if you have Gmail, technically that's also your Google Cloud. They're also moving, pushing more people towards your Google Cloud. So yes, you're right. People can look at these capabilities and go, "Yep, yeah, this I can start over there." But if you don't have the engineering capability in your organization, then these services can be overwhelming. A CSPM would look after all multiple. And by the way, I don't promote any particular CSPM product or anything, but I definitely want to call out that. They still solve a purpose when you're trying to get your head around multiple clouds, or you know, you're about to go into multiple cloud, or you know that today I don't have the capability for engineering. I just want the answer for what should I be looking out for? Because I don't know, Uber breach happened. I just want to know if my uh, content is safe or not. So that's where they provide value because an Amazon product would never try and do anything for Azure. Although... The other cloud providers are smart. If people would have seen the Google uh, Next announcement that happened, they announced a lot of cybersecurity products. They're also saying, hey, we can ingest data. We could be the seam for all your cloud providers, which was the promise that Azure Sentinel made. But Google is saying, well, we have BigQuery. We can help you make a big data lake on our side, and we won't charge you for the inbound. And how many cloud service providers don't charge for volume of data coming in? So that was an interesting play from Google. So the other two providers have started, well, at least trying to level the playing field by saying we are cloud, uh, we can work across many clouds because they know it's a losing battle against Amazon. Why not join in? So you can send us the logs and we'll take care of it. So yeah, that's that, this is where it gets really complex, man. I think we are in a world where, I think you and I spoke about the whole uh, the complexity of expectation we have for developers. It's the same with cloud folks as well. Like I don't, earlier, uh, I used the example of MCSE, where I just was Microsoft, Microsoft certified person. I would be totally getting a job. Right now, I know Amazon. I know a bit about Google Cloud and even less about Azure. I would not get a job which is uh, in a company for a, like a tech leader for like a, like a better example. When I, unless i know all three, it, it just like, because it, I would not be able to contribute. I don't know, what, what do you feel about this?
1: I uh, definitely think you're selling yourself short, even mm-hmm. though that's what the, I guess, ideal candidate would be able to do. You're not finding like anybody who fulfills those requirements. If you wanted to find folks mm-hmm. that fulfill those requirements, you should look up on LinkedIn for all the people that have the GIAC GPCS. GIAC Public Cloud Security Certification, which is the certification associated with SEC 510. Because as far as I know, no other certification is a multi-cloud certification like the way that we are. But at the same time, as valuable as that is, you can get into a job like that with knowing one cloud provider and you'd be able to learn more through that process. I have a lot of follow-up questions though regarding what you just mentioned. So first and foremost, you mentioned that Google made an announcement that they want to be a SIM for all of the different cloud providers. I just want to confirm by SIM, you mean S-I-E-M, not C-I-E-M, right?
0: Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah. I know we kind of spoke about two SIMs Yeah, So it's the uh, security incident and event management systems, which is your. A lot of people use log aggregators, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Um, people use not confusing into...
1: at all. These two acronyms definitely no, totally never be confusing all. No. each other. Ever. Uh, the other thing that you mentioned is that there is no centralized CSPM for the different uh, cloud providers. I actually am happy to let you know that that's changing a little bit because Azure oh. actually supports the ability to do some basic integration with AWS and GCP and the Microsoft Defender for cloud. And we have an episode of uh, this that Eric Johnson and I did for a live stream called uh, Cloud Wars part three. And if you look that up and we'll put that in the show notes as well, uh, you can see a demo of how that works. But uh, that is is, uh, a sign that there may be some more multi-cloud CSPMs in the future. And one last thing, because we have to wrap up, but one last thing when it comes to all these different C capabilities. I think just Googling here, I think you actually missed one because now there's also CASB, C A S B. So oh, what they that were the first ones.
0: They yeah, were the first ones before CSPM. So CASB was your glorified proxy. This CASB was, uh, so that CASB is before CSPM. The reason I didn't mention CASB is because I don't think it's relevant anymore. I personally, because even if you go on a Casby provider website, they, t- they call themselves CSPM now. The reason I I don't give them any importance is the fact that it's, the the idea was, hey, Brandon has a credit card, he swiped it, he started a cloud provider. I don't know what he's doing. I want to find out all the cloud service providers that are being used in my This is like back when, like seven, eight years ago, when people were still trying to identify, am I really in cloud today? Or am I, wh- where, where am I, uh, where am I, uh, Amazon, Google Cloud, Azure, what am I using? And there was no way to find that out unless you actually had like some kind of a man in the middle or human in the middle, if you want to use that example, uh, into your network to understand what that everything should go through this CASV proxy. And then the CASV would help you identify, oh, hey, dude, these are your approved applications, these are your unapproved applications. It's definitely worth knowing. So thank you for calling it out but I definitely genuinely feel uh, that it is a category that's gonna die soon. When people have all migrated into uh, the cloud space, there would not be a use case for CASB, but definitely worthwhile knowing.
1: Well, that is something I'm kind of skeptical of that we're all gonna be just in the cloud space in the future, because you know, I don't think uh, the question is whether it's gonna be cloud or not. I think it's always a question of how much cloud there's going to be. And I think there's going to be some holdovers for on-prem. And frankly, there are use cases where on-prem is required. Like mm. you mentioned the pricing of ingress and egress traffic. There are some use cases that would just be terrible to have data going through the cloud for. I mean, the cost <laughs> would be tremendous. Uh, one example that comes to mind is like video conferencing or streaming, putting oh, yeah. all that yeah. data through a cloud provider when it could be in- avoided. A terrible, terrible architectural decision, in my opinion.
0: That's a great conversation, man. Definitely a great example as well.
1: Awesome. Well, we got to wrap. So before we go, please tell us a little bit more about your cloud security podcast, as well as where we can find you online.
0: Sure. Uh, I'm glad I'm at that stage in my life. I can just tell people to Google me. So you can just Google Ashish Rojan and you normally find everything about me, including pictures of me without my beard, because I'm just trying to get rid of all the pictures without my beard, but haven't been able to upload that many pictures yet. Um, and uh, if you want to look after the website uh, for Cloud Security Podcast, you will find us on all your podcast platforms, as well as on YouTube and LinkedIn. We go live every weekend, uh, and uh, we announce basically talk about. Funny enough, we're talking about Kubernetes this month, so it's an inter- interesting topic for a lot of people trying to be cloud native. Uh, Kubernetes security is what we're covering, and you can find us on CloudSecurityPodcast.tv. The .tv was because I always wanted to be video, so that's why I'm not the traditional your .io or .com. I'm like CloudSecurityPodcast.tv. That's it.
1: Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time, Ashish. I hope that folks will check out and follow and rate the Cloud Security podcast. Maybe in the future in the future you'll have me featured on one of the episodes. So, yeah, subscribe for no other reason than that, folks. That'd be really <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, I appreciate uh,
0: that. Thank you for having me as well. It was a great conversation.
1: Most certainly. And for folks who want to learn more about all these various topics. Make sure to both check out the Cloud Security Podcast, check out more Cloud Ace episodes, and make sure to go to sans.org slash cloud to learn more about our course offerings and free resources. So thank you again, out Brandon's, course,
0: Brandon's course, definitely check out Brandon's course. If you haven't heard about it yet, you clearly know how great a teacher he is. You should definitely check out his course.
1: Oh, you're too kind. Thanks a bunch, Ashish.
0: Thank you, thanks so much.